Hello and welcome to Leaving Egypt. I'm Jenny Sinclair. And I'm Al Roxburgh. This podcast is for you if you want to explore the unfolding vocation of the church in these times of unraveling. We'll be doing two things, reading the signs of the times and sharing grassroots stories. We'll be having some brilliant conversations with fascinating people and we'll discover how local expressions of God's people are contributing to the reweaving of hope in our common life. We do hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Leaving Egypt. Welcome to this very first episode of Leaving Egypt. I'm Jenny Sinclair. And I'm Al Roxburgh. We're really excited to bring you this Leaving Egypt podcast. We want to try and make sense of this moment for communities of Christians in North America and the UK who are feeling that their worlds are unraveling and they're no longer sure of what it means. Yeah, so we want to explore the stories that shape us. What does it mean to be God's people in this time of confusion and deep change? We're going to be hosting some brilliant conversations with some fascinating people. We are, but, and it's going to be quite a ride, but why us? Why Jenny and I? What is it about us that makes us want to do this? So we're going to spend some time right now sort of interviewing one another. And uh, Jenny, um, let's start with you. What brings you to this point and why are you in this conversation? Well, um, this comes out of our friendship, our working relationship, and um, we've been involved in a long-term conversation for some years. But I guess my whole life story um, lies behind this. So I, I'm a what they might call a pastor's child. I, I grew up in a clergy household in East London. Um, my father was a, a vicar, but then became a bishop in the Church of England. I was an only child. I was a bit of a rebel. I didn't, I wasn't very happy in the church. I wasn't happy being a bishop's daughter. Um, by my teens, I was in Liverpool and um, spent most of my time in the music scene, um, causing my parents no end of grief. And uh, towards my um, early 20s, I was searching. I was quite lost. And I found myself in a strange situation in my mid-20s of experiencing a conversion experience. And I was called into the Catholic Church quite against my own expectations. And um, that's a long time ago now, but that began my relationship with God really that I was conscious of, although I, I know that the Holy Spirit has been holding me and walking with me since I was very, very small. So um, it's pretty clear, Jenny, that there's been a lot of turmoil for you in this journey towards where you are now. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And um, But what really led to where I am right now uh, is a movement of the Spirit that happened um, in my late 40s about 12 years ago. And I felt that um, God was nagging at me and calling me to look at um, the partnership between my late father, who, as I said, was an Anglican bishop and a Catholic bishop. Um, my father's name was David Shepherd, and the Catholic bishop was Derek Warlock, and they both were appointed to Liverpool within six months of each other in the mid-70s at a time when Liverpool was in a really uh, troubled state um, it was sectarian violence, there was a high unemployment, 
investment was pulling out. There was poor local leadership. And they found themselves thrown into that position of community leadership anyway. They built up a unique and groundbreaking partnership. Um, and they worked together for 22 years. And they were instrumental, people say, in helping to regenerate that city and build a sense of renewal. And they worked very closely with local communities, very much enabling local leadership. Anyway, that's what I found the Holy Spirit was asking me to look at. And at the time, I was a graphic designer and I was like, that's not really my thing. I I have a personal, private prayer life and um, why should I be looking at this? They didn't really need a torch, me to hold a torch for them. But I did. And over that year, I found myself uh, surrounded by a growing group of people. And since then, that group has grown and it's become a charity called Together for the Common Good. And really, we're looking at the factors that made their partnership uh, so resonant. And we've now moved beyond their partnership and it's become very much its own thing, forward-looking. And essentially, it's about being an outward-facing church that's involved in the neighbourhood and drawing on the tradition of of Catholic social teaching, which is a body of thinking that many people have never heard about, but it's probably the most coherent um, body of social theology that there is, and it's really helpful for reading the signs of the times. And we can talk more about that, but that's Mm. a big influence on me. And because I came from an Anglican background and I'm now a Catholic and I work across the churches across all denominations and non-denominationals I have a I think probably a unique uh, experience and network and sensibility and sympathy across all those traditions I also have a sympathy for the clergy I understand how difficult it is to be in positions of leadership and I have a great sympathy for the laity being a lay person myself I've got no letters before or after my name I'm not ordained I'm not a theologian I'm not an academic uh, I've been called into this and it is it has become a vocation for me. So that's why I've ended up here, Al. But yeah. with you in this conversation is a an extraordinarily great joy for me because we come from different stables and mm-hmm. so we bring mm-hmm. really complementary pieces together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And out of all of that, um, this podcast then becomes a place, I, I, I suppose, where you, you bring those experiences, those relationships into conversations with people uh, wrestling with the question of being God's people at this time. That, that, that's the motivation, I think, that I hear from you around why you're here. Well, I think we see what we're seeing is is this great unraveling that's going on in the West, and I think I instinctively saw this signs of this in 2011 when that first started to happen to me, and I saw that things weren't right, and I began to ask questions: What on earth is going on? What what is causing this, uh, this multiple dysfunction um, across society, across the economy, across our relationships, and? And I could also see that the churches were beginning to struggle to read the signs of the times. And now that you know, in this year, uh, it's become very pronounced and the changes in the church are very deep and very fast. And I can sense and through the relationships I have and the work that I do that, that people 
are really grateful for the sense of accompaniment during this time of confusion. And I think my sense is that there is no need to panic because although these great changes under are underway, God's working throughout all of this and we need to understand that and work with him rather than try to impose our own uh, solutions. And one of the things that Catholic social thought is very helpful about is understanding the forces at work. So, for example, you know, the powers of big finance capital, what that does to human beings, its tendency to dehumanise, for example. It also warns about over-centralised power in, in the state. So it's neither left nor right, it's neither pro-state or anti-state, it's genuinely non-partisan and it's deeply rooted in theology. For those that don't know about it, it, what it, what it is, is a series of long-form letters that began as a response to the Industrial Revolution um, in 1891 when it became clear what what these big principalities and powers were starting to do to ordinary human beings and to their families and communities. And, and so what it argues for is distributed leadership. It argues for decentralised capital, decentralised power, to, in order to enable the integrity and agency of ordinary human beings in the local. But it also argues for what we call subsidiarity, which is decisions being taken at the appropriate level. So that doesn't necessarily mean small government, but it doesn't mean big government. It means you have to discern where decisions are best taken. And so it does end up being about personal responsibility. But the common good, which really interests me, is one of its key principles. It's about personal flourishing, but in the context of the community. So it's Mm. not just about personal or individual uh, competition with other individuals of a, a battle of rights of all against all. It's about a sense of mutual obligation. So there's a. It's so rich. There's so much to discover there, and I feel that in the conversations that we're going to have over the coming weeks and months, we're going to hear um, some wonderful stories about how that looks in the local, uh, but also explore some of the bigger picture questions about why this has happened and how we can get back out of it because it's not. Um, It doesn't have to be like this. It's not inevitable. This is in some ways an anomaly that's happened over particularly the last 40 years. It has longer roots, and you can teach me more about that. But in the last 40 years, something really uh, extreme has happened. And we've been in a culture of individualism, um, which has affected pretty much everything in the culture. And, And we think that the practice and the approach of the common good is the antidote to that. So that's one of the things that I, I'm really passionate to explore and it's part of my work. The good, the good thing is that even in your description, one can hear the passion that you have for this and I'm really looking forward to the ways in which we begin to unfold the implications of particularly uh, Catholic social teaching for this unraveling that's going on amongst mm. us right now. Yeah. So what about you, Al? Tell me a bit about your background and yeah. what brought you to this position. Well, as you know, uh, by strange uh, coincidence, I was born and grew up in Liverpool. I was probably one of those street kids that uh, your father and the Catholic bishop were thinking about and concerned about as they began to work together in Liverpool. So 
Yeah, I, I grew up in Liverpool. I grew up in the inner city, on the streets, in a completely uh, pagan, I suppose, kind of space where there were, the, the God was not present. The, the only occasion I ever remember was of a vicar riding a bike down our street with a collar on and wondering, what is that strange thing? And so that's where I began. And um, for all kinds of reasons that don't matter here, my, my parents, when I was a teenager, did what so many did in the UK after the Second World War. They emigrated. And we happened to emigrate to Canada, um, which was a great blessing. And the, um, I, I was, um, what shaped me was that I was actually studying and doing work to teach philosophy. And in one of these moments that in one sense made no sense at all, I, I had a clear experience of God and God's presence. And it was a call to what we would call ministry or the church, which completely reoriented my direction. So instead of planning to do a doctorate and teach at a university, I headed to seminary to become a clergy person. And in those days, I suppose much like today, uh, if you sense the call of God, there is only one hole in which to put a square peg. It's called get ordained, become a minister, go to seminary. So I did all that. And it, it, it never really fit who I was, and it raised for me all kinds of questions about what are we doing? Uh, but, you know, I was fitted out, I got the degree, I got ordained, and I was placed in a church with wonderful people. But when I got into that church, what became utterly clear to me was that already my own generation had simply left and were not coming back. And I was very good at making the church grow. But it was clear to me that almost all that growth was kind of the circulation of the saints. Like, I could put on good worship services, happy clappy events, worship bands, small groups, do the whole shtick. And, uh, but something inside of me uh, was wrestling with, but if this is what it's all about, uh, then I may as well quit church and go get a job and make a lot of money doing this, uh, which is not what I felt called to do. And so I began a search, I began a journey. And that journey led me in two different directions. One was to the Jesuits, uh, where I began to study again the whole sense of 19th, 20th century theology and history. But it also led me in a search for others. And in that search, I discovered Leslie Newbigin and began to read his work and all of his conversations about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be God's people in, a, in the late modern West? And out of those conversations with Newbergen and with others and in the learning I was doing amongst the Jesuits, there began a whole new journey around what does it mean to be God's people in this society, this culture that we call the West. And out of that, uh, two things began to happen to me. One, it started to become clear. And, and when things become clear, it doesn't mean they're clear. It means you're, you're wrestling with something. But what, what started to become clear to me was that almost the whole orientation of our churches 
and the systems that we created were, were, were really towards about our own capacity to manage and make things work. And that in, in a deep sense, there was little sense of where is God in the midst of all this? What is God doing in this huge unraveling of our society? And I described that as fundamentally our churches are what I would call ecclesiocentric. They're centered upon themselves and anthropocentric. They really believe that with the right techniques and the right leaders that they can change the world or they can save themselves. And there's very little sense of God as agent. And what began, became clear to me was that the situation of the churches was rooted in that fundamental, what would you say, uh, miss. That, and, and that began a whole other journey. How did that happen? How did we get to this place? Which obviously takes you into asking about the, the West and modernity and all those sorts of things. Um, and then as I began to look at the construction of the West, what you call the last 40 years, but I will call longer, longer than that, this sense that we, we have a method, we have a technique. Uh, we're, we're sort of like a program I used to watch with my kid, kids called The Six Million Dollar Man, where this, this American astronaut crashes and his body's destroyed. But we have the technology to put it all together and we have the technology to make it all work again. That really was one of the primary mantras uh, that I began to see going on in the modern West. We are the agents, we have the techniques, we have the method, we can make things happen. And then alongside of that, this individualism, which which really is a what I would call a solipsism, a narcissism of we are turned in upon ourselves, which is demonstrated so much in our captivity by therapy and other sorts of things. And I began to see these things and, and, and recognize how they had been brought into the church, that most of the time in our seminaries, we're training technicians uh, for this world. But in the midst of it, to use what you're talking about, I began to see that it's all unraveling. It's all coming apart. That this modern story that we've bought is itself unraveling. And that the churches, in the midst of this unraveling, have lost the sense of how to address it. Yeah, so, it's like it's like that. Um, how has the church has been affected by individualism as well, isn't it? I mean, they haven't they haven't escaped the um, they haven't escaped the uh, effects of individualism either. I mean, I, I, although uh, I you know I love the the liturgy; uh, it's very important to me. Um, at the same time, I can see that some of the formulations of our worship, for example has been affected by this. It's kind of consumerist. We go along and get something and we go home again. Exactly. And many churches don't have a culture, for example, of relational small groups. And um, that that is, I think that's gone a long way, drifted a long way from the, the model of the early church. Um, and also this, this individualism really has come from what I would see as a wrong anthropology um, of... You know, the, got got things the wrong way up. You know, you talked earlier about the agency. You know, the agent's primary agent is God, but 
we so often think of the self as the primary agent and that's actually the dominant culture that we live in it's it's so pervasive that we we find it even hard to notice it it's like we swim in that sea we swim in that sea and it's hard to see the sea that you swim in yeah absolutely mm. and yeah. and within that then therefore because we're not really aware of that it's unsurprising then that people in the churches leaders have been trained to see themselves as the savior as the yeah. as the rescuer as the fixer yeah. and what I see now um, are, are church leaders who are saying the need, the level of need around me, you know, in the tower blocks around where I live, is so great, it's simply impossible for me to need, to meet it. Yeah, the, the and sense that of is being overwhelmed is huge. Absolutely <clears throat> overwhelmed. Um, I've heard of stories and, and heard it myself, church leaders in tears saying, I simply don't know where to start. It's yeah. too much. Yeah. And so that feels as if, They've not been trained for this moment. Not at right? all. Not at all. I had one leader um, who, they didn't make this up. It was just talking. And she said, she said, it feels like I've had my ladder against the wrong wall all the time. I, I've in this space where I don't know what to do. And another one, she said, I've just graduated with a doctorate and I'm very good at what I do. And 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 she said, even though I'm very, very good at what I do and in all the things I've been trained, I'm realizing that none of that addresses the place where I find myself now with my congregation. So that sense of being disoriented and lost and what do you do in the midst of this other place is huge. Yeah, it's like it's like finding a way through the fog. Isn't it? I mean, it's like how how do we? It's a great um, metaphor, yeah. Na na even when we don't even really want to use the word navigate because that in, in, implies that we know where we're going. You got you, yeah, you know, you've got a compass and it's telling you where to go. Yeah, and even when we, we, you and I have discussed this before, and when we use the language of renewal, I want to be clear that when I'm using the language of renewal, it's it's God's renewal. I don't know where, what that renewal yeah. will look like. Well, the or problem with all these re's is it's about mm -hmm. us trying to put something back together. Right? Yeah. And we're in, we recognize, and this was something, wasn't it, that um, Pope Francis said back as far as 2015. And in fact, I think he was quoting from something as far back as 2007. He talked about this being a, a, a new era. And this, we, we, I think more and more people now are recognizing that this is genuinely a new era. And that's a very hard thing for people to uh, really digest because it's, it's such a big step. Mm -hmm. And that requires us really to sort of uh, suspend many of our assumptions that we've been carrying around. So Jenny, what uh, what people are going to be picking up from this conversation mm. is that you and I are pretty passionate about these conversations, that we're very engaged with them, and we believe very deeply uh, that uh, we've got to address this unraveling. But I want to step back a little bit and say, um, beyond all that passion, Tell us a little bit about what you do in your spare time. Well, I, I I go to the gym. I love to swim. I spend time with my friends. I my wonderful sons. I adore. I'm very close to. Mm. Um, I have to confess, I love um, kind of some trash TV. I ah. actually quite quite enjoy <clears throat> um, Master Chef, for example. Uh -huh. um, yeah, and I I walk. I I love to spend time with friends, really. I love people. My life is full of conversations. Mm. What about you? Me, yeah. Um, you, have a you have a pizza oven, I know that. I do. I love to cook. 
<laughs> I am I am just totally in my in my element when I got the time to cook and pick wine. Um, and yeah, and we uh, Jane and I we live in an extended household, so we love to have people around and engage. Mm-hmm. And the pizza of it really is one of the ways we invite neighbors over on Friday nights and make pizza and conversation. It's great fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I bike. I do a lot of biking, um, and I have we have uh, two poodles. We actually have three poodles, so we do a lot of walking, a lot of moving around, and. Uh, enjoying our grandkids. We've got seven grandkids, and we are utterly blessed because all of them live really close to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, those are the the places of fun and uh, engagement that uh, that we have. Uh, yeah, that's another life. And what one of the things that we are going to try and do is we're really interested in sensing where the new energy is because although we're describing the unravelling, there's something new growing at the same time. And I know you, you love to use the language of fermenting. Um, would you like to say a bit about that? And what kind of things are we going to look for? What do we regard as signs of new life in terms of the church beginning to change, showing some things are dying, some things are remaining, some things are being born? I, I kind of think, I like to think of midwife and undertaker. At the yeah, same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what we're doing here is uh, working with metaphors uh, because because the metaphors that we've we've used to this point are, are not particularly helpful, like renewing, revitalizing, all of that. And um, I, I actually do find the language of fermenting really, really helpful. Uh, and I may not understand it all very well, and there are probably experts who will tell me it's not true. But what I do remember is that early on, early on in our, on our marriage, uh, my wife decided she wanted to do winemaking, and she got one of these kits. And um, I don't know whether you have done this before, but if you don't know what you're doing, it really smells. And uh, she sort of got it fermenting and put put the wine that was fermenting in the bathroom. And uh, I'll never forget that um, every day she broke the rules by kind of lifting the lid to see what was happening and what was going on. But the point was that somehow, apart from our skill and ability and experience, something was going on, something was fermenting, something was coming to life over which we were not having control uh, at all. And that, to me, is a, a brilliant metaphor for uh, how we be the church in the unraveling, that we cannot manage and predict our way forward. We can't take all the data and stats and studies and say, this is what's going to happen. That's just foolishness, because we are in this new space that we've never been before. And therefore, the adventure is this anticipation of what it is that the Spirit is fermenting amongst us and ahead of us. And so what this means is leading, for example, is less and less and less about, you know, uh, strategic plans and business management and outcomes and measures. It's way less that. And it's a whole lot more, how do I learn to see and anticipate and create the places and the spaces where the fermentation of the spirit can take place. 
And that's why, connected with that, the language of the midwife is so, so helpful because I'm not making something. I'm learning how to cooperate and participate with what God is doing, which again gets us back to this basic fundamental shift that happened in my imagination, which was leadership today is about asking how do we discern what it is that God's doing amongst us as a people and in the communities in which we dwell. That, that's the Catholic social teaching side of it. So all of these are uh, alternative metaphors for being in a place that we've never been before. Yeah. Yeah, and, and one of the, the ways of, one of the helpful frames here is to see what's happening to the human person. And that, that's one of the yeah. disciplines that Catholic social teaching helps us with. So, for example, we're looking at signs of unraveling, which might be loss of relationship, loss of trust, um, you know, fall, falling uh, levels of trust within neighborhoods, uh, polarization, political polarization, all of these things are our outworkings of this culture of hyper-liberalism, of individualism. And when we notice those, those are the problems, that also helps us to notice the signs of fermenting of new life. So with, on the obverse of that is looking for signs of relationship, of, of reciprocity, of reconciliation, of where um, new energy is beginning to manifest itself between people in the local. So these are these are some of the things we're looking for. And I the other thing I'd like to sort of lift up here is I which I, I see often as a, a kind of problem within the church which has developed over many decades is this false dichotomy between the spiritual or the evangelistic and the social and the justice side. So we see in all the churches, we see this divide. We see people, you know, very concerned about justice and on the other side, people very concerned about evangelization. And often they don't talk to each other or they use different kinds of language. They even feel as if they're occupying different churches. And I feel that what we're talking about here is bridging that that gap because we're, we're looking at how can human beings flourish and we're looking at the factors primarily at the moment, the principalities and powers of big money and big the technocratic state, which are dominating the human person and making it difficult for human beings to to flourish. And so we're looking for the signs that enable that flourishing. Yeah. Yeah. And that does require this bridging of the spiritual and the, so, the social. They are complementary. They're actually part of the same yeah. thing. But they've they've become divided over the years. So I'm hoping that our conversations will explore that as well. And yeah. because both of us have networks across uh, not only North America, uh, Canada and the UK and, and other countries too, uh, we also bridge the different uh, Christian traditions. And so I think our conversations uh, and our guests, our wonderful guests that we're going to invite um, are going to come from some of those different traditions. And so we're kind of looking over the silos here and we're offering a kind of cross-fertilization yeah. possibility for people from different denominations and backgrounds and traditions to hear the stories that people are telling from their local experience. Uh, and that's actually the many facets of God's reality. And without those, without that wider view, we're having a poorer experience of what God is doing in the world. So I'm very excited to, to hear those different stories and, and to hear people's responses to them. So we 
again, you and I are very passionate and talk about this. Um, and so we've begun this new adventure, this podcast that you're listening in on. Um, Jenny, do you want to say a little bit about uh, how it's emerged uh, out of our relationship, out of our Friday conversations? Just tell a little yeah. bit about that to locate what we're up to here. Yeah, sure. Um, it actually goes back to the summer of 2019. And um, I had this little, again, sort of Holy Spirit kind of nudge in my life, uh, thinking I I would really like to do something with, with Alan and your co-writer, Martin Robinson. And I'd known Martin for some years, but we'd never actually worked together. And I wrote to you both and said, would you like to do something? Would you like to write something for my website? Or well, I'm not quite sure what, but I kind of reached out to you and I just trusted it that that was something that I should do. And you wrote back and said, uh, yeah, we'd love to, but actually we'd prefer to invite you to a, a day that we're doing together. So I joined you in September 2019. That's in and London, we, I remember, yeah. Yeah, we, we all met together with some of your colleagues and some of mine and we prayed together and we had this very strong sense of being drawn into a, a potential partnership. And we weren't sure at that time what it would be. Well, we had loads of ideas, but we hadn't um, landed on one thing. And then in the new year of 2020, this is before the pandemic, uh, you and I uh, were talking about uh, on Zoom, and this is before the Zoom thing really took off, I think. Um, how can we talk about the revitalization of the Christian imagination for the sake of the common good. That's what we were talking about. And uh, we sensed the new era. We had already um, been aware of this for some years. I, I certainly had tuned into it in around 2016. And we were noticing the churches were going to need help. And so we started talking and um, we then invited some other colleagues to join us. And we started talking every Friday at four o'clock. And we've done that ever since. So that's more than three years now. We've we've talked every Friday at four o'clock and it's become informally known to us as our Friday group. And I think it's fair to say for all of us involved and we're all, you know, really busy people with lots of other things we could be doing. It's the one thing we never miss. It's, um, for me, I will say this, it's been a kind of like a discipleship journey for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's been really, really powerful and precious and we discuss scripture, we go really deep into it, we bring stories from our own working lives and our relationships and our our reading of the signs of the times, and we chew on things together, we wrestle through it together, and we come from very different backgrounds, and it's been really enriching, and I think all of our work has been affected, influenced by those conversations. And, yeah. and this um, podcast is one of those... Um, fruits, child. I guess, yeah, that's fruits. come up. Yeah, yeah, a child. Exactly. Yeah, nice. So, folks, you're going to hear um, us bringing some fantastic people and thinkers with a broad range of perspectives to into conversation, giving analysis of where are we here in the West? What is this unraveling about? And what does it mean for where the church finds itself at this point in time? And um, But at the same time, you're going to hear lots of stories from people on the ground. Uh, we're looking really forward to introducing you to some people who both get this and are working it out 
on the ground in the places where they are. Um, because our sense is that what we see unfolding and fermenting in front of us is a whole new vocation for God's people in a culture that's unraveling. And I think we we need to say something about why we've called it Leaving Egypt. Yeah, go for because it. Because it actually started off as a joke. A friend of ours um, suggested it as a joke, but it's actually become really, we think, a really helpful device for our conversations. So it comes from, and maybe people listening will already figured it out, but just to say, we're referring to Exodus um, when God led the Israelites, Israelites, when God led the Israelites out of Egypt. It's said that four fifths of them preferred to stay behind, and that was that was Rashi, the great medieval Jewish scholar, who said that, and he was warning his people at that time against assimilation to the comforts and values of the dominant culture, and those that stayed behind preferred the security of slavery in a decadent but apparently prosperous empire. They preferred that to the risks that come with true freedom, a life close to God. And so we're kind of sensing that as an interesting parallel with this time. But the modern enslavement today comes not with hard labour, does it? But actually something worse, a society dominated by the cult of the neoliberal state of globalisation that promotes this culture of transactional individualism, which corrupts commodifies, dehumanizes, destroys the family, damages community, damages the natural world. So we're seeing this as a a modern Egypt and it's kind of an operating system of divide and rule. Um, And it causes civic and spiritual degradation. It's attack on the common good. So we're kind of saying these modern pharaohs offer a pseudo freedom. Um, You know, it's sold as you know, you can design your life. You can have everything the way you want it. You know, the unencumbered self, no responsibilities, um, mobility, consumer choice, rights, self-determination. But it also means the removal of constraint. And and that means anything is possible. So we end up with this unraveling of relativism where nothing means anything and we get into a very, very dangerous situation. So it becomes an assault on relationship and it breeds a great... Uh, series of of problems that propagate from that so i th- i guess that's that's a a way of describing this egypt that we feel that christians to learn to live in this strange time to navigate this fog or to find their way through this fog um mentally need to leave egypt and that's a very difficult thing because we've all become very comfortable in it uh those of, those of us who are not uh, at the sharp end uh, economically, those who are at the sharp end economically have seen this coming for a long time because they've lived with it. But um, much of the church, certainly in the West, has become very middle class and um, has lost that connection with uh, with many people in poorer communities. And I think that's part of the reason for its decline. Um, and so I think part of this as well is building up a sense of solidarity with people who have been on the the hard edge of this this period of of very damaging uh, globalization, and now that that's beginning to unravel, um, big change is underway, and we're going to need to become more resilient and more focused on the local and trusting each other again. So that's where some of our stories fit in. 
you 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 speak about this too. You 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 talk about the language of the the dominant state, and we sometimes hear people talking about the machine. Um, there are various ways of describing this, aren't there? Yeah, there's a, a whole series of language that people are testing, and uh, people like uh, Paul Kingsnorth and others talk about the machine, and we've said a lot mm. about that. Um, mm. There's also how, and it's a contradictory, in one sense it's quite contradictory, in which we, 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 we have been formed to think that the state is the central place in which these, the, 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 these challenges get worked out. Uh, part of what we're going to be saying is, uh, hold on a minute, we're not convinced of that anymore, um, that we, we are, we're more and more convinced that the corporatization of the state, along with global media, big tech, big pharma, uh, all of these things um, have really, unintentionally perhaps, but have really taken away the capacity, the inability, the ability, the power of the local, of people in their particular contexts, looking at where they are and asking what's going on. And our belief is that this is a central place in which the church can play a profound role in, in, in reanimating the local and reanimating society because behind this is the question of, in an unraveling, how do we attend as God's people to the remaking that God is doing, the reweaving of society that God is about? And so the people we're going to be bringing into this conversation are people who can help us think deeply about these issues. And then, as we've said, what we do is we bring into those issues conversations with people on the ground who are actually working at it. What does it mean to form in local communities and neighborhoods ways of asking as God's people, what's God doing here? And how do we join with God? So that's another part of what we'll be up to. Yeah, and fundamentally, at the end of the day, it's all about upholding the integrity of the human person because God loves human beings. We're made in the image of God. And so when that integrity is undermined, whether it's through the commodification power of money or the domination of an impersonal state, um, we have, as Christians, we're really called to, to assert what it means to be human in that space. And so when you talk about reanimating through, you know, in the in the local, we're not talking about doing that by rolling out the next program, are we? We're talking about building relationships. We're talking about loving friendship. We're talking about accompanying people, being tender, being really present to people, to each other uh, in a reciprocal manner, not the great, um, you know, giver that's helping out people who are poor, but totally um, reciprocity, this this sense of giving and receiving, a church that's able to receive as well as give, um, to be truly neighbour. And that's where it connects as well with the common good and the, the sort of political piece of this, if you like, is that the bigger these powers become, whether it's global media, big tech, big pharma, centralised government or all that, uh, the bigger they get... Um, the more they manage to exert power out with democratic frameworks and that disempowers local people. So we're firmly 
in solidarity with the local. Mm -hmm. And we're concerned about how that um, relational power is undermined. Um, and it, it, the whole purpose of that is because the Holy Spirit works through human beings and God works through people. And so if they are uh, subordinated um, and captured by the principalities and powers, it's much more difficult for God to work in the world. So this is why we're talking about real freedom versus a false freedom. Um, so these stories that we're hoping to lift up will be very uh, simple, beautiful stories, I think, about how relationship is uh, cultivated, exactly. um, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So the the shape of this um, podcast, it's not we're not going to do like seasons. We're just going to have a series of conversations, aren't we? We're going to have some of these local conversations and some of the bigger picture conversations. Exactly. And that will be the rhythm. And... Um... We're going to have two a month. That's that's our intention, isn't it? Is to two a month. release yep. uh, every two weeks. We're going to release a, an episode. Yep, about an hour long, and mm-hmm. um, we'll see where these conversations take us. And we mm-hmm. we're really looking forward to feedback from people who are listening. We want to be as responsive as we can be. Um, and this is just to say, this is the first time that you and I have done this. So we're just feeling our way. And um, so far, it's really fun, and we want it to be as conversational as it has been today. It is fun, and it, and it really is. And we're we're launching into the unknown. I mean, we've, we're well organized. We've got lots of wonderful people lined up, and mm-hmm. we've got a great producer helping us do all this. But at the end of the day, we are launching into the unknown. And in one level, it's very exciting. At another level, we just don't know what might emerge from this. So (laughs) we invite you to join in. And uh, as we take this journey of asking in a huge unraveling, how do we leave Egypt and discern Mm. what it is that God is reweaving in the midst of Mm. us? So I'm Al Roxborough. And I'm Jenny Sinclair. And we thank you for listening It's been great to be with you and we look forward to you being with us for the next episode. Thanks all. God bless. God bless. Thanks for listening to Leaving Egypt. We look forward to you joining us again on the next episode. In the meantime, you can find out more at togetherforthecommongood.co.uk And you can find me on alanroxborough.com And do check out Leaving Egypt on Substack too. This podcast is brought to you by Together for the Common Good and the Missional Network. Thanks for joining us on today's episode. If you've liked what you've heard, please subscribe wherever you'd normally listen to your podcasts. And we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. So that's it from us. I'm Al Roxborough. And I'm Jenny Sinclair. Thank you so much for listening. God bless and see you soon. Mm